0: Yes, episode 66, 66, six, oh, sounds, very, sounds very lispy that didn't it, 66, s- can you hear, s- s- six, 60, 66, 66, how many teeth do I have in my mouth, episode 66 of Griff's Brain Dump and it's me, Griff, obviously I have no guests with me so, oh what, you, don't leave, guys, 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 you going to stay please, you want to stay right, no, alright, you can catch me on the next episode. We have two guests on the next one yeah all right cool what were you saying oh you you need to do that that thing for your mum. oh right that's that's why you can't listen to the podcast right now oh no 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 problem no I no i'm not taking it personally it's cool all right all right no no cool see you in a bit but all right but now it is episode 66 me on my own um How you been, people? It's just gonna be rambling and talking. You know, the obvious thing. Everyone's talked about Kanye. Every single podcast has spoke about Kanye, and I'm not even sure if I have a real unique insight into it. So you know, I may talk about, I may not. But in the spirit of Kanye, let me talk about me. (laughs) So, about me. How's my week been? Uh, my week's been great. It's been fun. Uh, what have I done this week? Comedy-wise gigging. first uh, I was at Backyard Comedy Club in Bethnal Green. That was one. Tore it up. Um, they they did a crazy thing there. Those show is split into three parts. There's three black guys on the show. Put us all in the middle section. Back to back black. It, it was... It was just strange. The audience didn't know what to do. When you're performing in front of, you know... An audience. How, how they meant to differentiate between the acts... I mean, they've got different jokes and they're different individuals. But, I mean, it's three black guys. They're going to get confused in their memories. And they go, I like the black guy, the middle sex. Which one? What? There's more than one. I thought it was just the same guy on stage. I don't know. So, there's three of us on there. It was good. It was uh, Aki and uh, Mobotan, who's been on this podcast. And then, I don't I think catch Raman's surname. But a guy called Raman. I need to find his surname. I'll get him on the podcast at some point as well. That's dreadful, can't remember his son. She didn't even mentioned him if I don't remember his full name. But it was great. Um, had a lot of fun. After the sec- the the final part of the show, that was really funny. Um a headliner came down, she tore it up, Wendy Wasson. Wason? Wason? Wason Wason. Um she was just talking about her life, talking about her family, just absolute freestyle and riffing. And then after, it was all chilling out. Um, you know she goes oh how amazing is it to have you know three men and one woman of color on the show and I just kind of nodded my head like yeah what you got to know about Wendy Uh, she's actually a white lady (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious because all three of us all three black guys just didn't even bat an eyelid when she said it and then she came up to us literally 10 seconds after goes I think I just realised, I was calling myself a woman of colour. And we just burst out laughing, yeah, no, I heard you say it. I mean, you're Scottish, that isn't a colour, uh, but maybe one of your parents are. I-, I didn't want to assume, so I was like, hey, you know, however you identify, that's you. That's you. <laughs> so didn't correct her. Um, but no, it's was very funny, we all laughed about it. And then, you know, we tweeted about it as well, so it's fine. fun. And then... Friday, I was in I was at Pangbourne College in Berkshire. It was a, another second boarding school I've done a gig in. Um The first boarding school was easier to do a gigging because it's just in a hall, you know, it's just in like an auditorium. So just uh, did my thing really. Cut cut down on the swearing. There's thirteen year olds in the crowd, and you know you cut down on the kind of the jokes about sex. Even when you to focus on relationships and work, that stuff doesn't work because they, they don't work. I made a joke about going to a nightclub and I was like, what are you doing, Darren? they have never been to a club. It's a great joke if you've been to a club, but if you haven't, it made no sense. Um, well, I say the previous gig was easy because it's in that hall, whereas the one I did on Friday, in a chapel. Now, I'm not even religious. Not really, I don't even class myself as spiritual. I'm not sure if I'm atheist, and I'll go on to that because I've I've been going through some stuff this week. Um, but I'm definitely not religious, definitely not Christian. But there was something about performing in a chapel with a big glass cross behind me that just made me in, unable to swear. It just felt wrong. It just felt... <laughs> and it's not, I don't think it's anything to do with my Christian upbringing. I think it could be like a Star of David. Could be like a moon and crescent, I mean star and crescent. Could be anything, any religious iconography, and I was kind of gone that. feels feels a bit rude to swear here, so I'm not. That hindered my performance, but it was a laugh. Um, The students seemed to enjoy it, so it's all right. It was a good experience. And then yes, that was in High Wickham, in a community hall, which had literally probably two of the most annoying crowd members ever serious with comedy you can heckle if we understand what you're saying that's fine we could bounce back we can banter but if you shout something and i don't understand what you're saying and then i have to go what so what did you say and then that's when you decide to be silent you're a prick you're a prick and all you do is just end up building up resentment as a comedian And, and what happens is your response to when you do understand them or when you've actually had enough is so disproportionately large that it seems harsh. But the trick is you just let them keep on doing it because what happens the crowd starts turning on the person making the noise. You kind of make a little nod to them each time they make the noise, but you don't interact. You just let the crowd know they're disrupting the show. They're disrupting the show. And then when you just blast, go, oh, you fucking prick. That's when all the crowd erupts with laughter because you're all on the same team because you all hate the person making noise. That's how you deal with them, and that's kind of what Omi started did. And he came. Hey, they did forty-five minutes yesterday, like an animal, absolute beast. And it's not. You know what I mean, do forty-five minutes on the show, but yeah, it was great, great. It was fun, fun show in the end. And um, yeah, now I'm here this morning on a Sunday, about to head out to a barbecue. Not sat in my car because I would absolutely pass out. I sat in my room doing this before I head off. I need to get some Tupperware as well because you know what it is. When you turn up to a barbecue, you can't turn up just with a hungry belly. You need Tupperware because it's a bad holiday the next day and you're going to feed yourself. We're you going to have a breakfast, Darren. Some chicken, some fish, some planted. You've got to eat your barbecue food for breakfast next day. See. So, hope you guys are having barbecues this weekend. Um, None, none of you have invited me, Svenny, so... Well, I hope you're having a good time. But I would do want to talk about um yeah, talk about well I was saying not like religion. Not religion, but spirituality and whatever. I'm reading this book. Well, I say reading, listening, all like that read. It's a book by Jordan Peterson, Twelve Rules of Life and Antidote to Chaos. Really interesting book. Um he's a clinical psychologist and he uses the Bible, he uses like biblical archetypes so it's really and he he applies psychology to that so he like makes this like so let's take Adam and Eve for example and he talks about you know when Adam when God returns to the garden after Adam and Eve have hadn't eaten from the tree of knowledge and you know God goes oh Adam where are you you know God can see everything but he can't see Adam and he goes uh where are you and Adam goes oh sorry I was naked and he goes oh who taught you to be naked have you been eating stuff that you're not meant to and that's when Adam goes, yeah, the woman gave it to me. And Jordan Peterson breaks this whole thing down about how, like the very, <laughs> like how from the very first man of woman on earth, Adam just snitches on a woman, just chucks a woman under the bus. <laughs> and it's really interesting because at least like, the woman was tricked by, by a talking serpent. You know, a, a kind of an unworldly being but you know but but adam he was just tricked by another human being and stuff and he just yeah and he could have said anything like you know yeah i ate the fruit yeah we ate the fruit together and oh yeah you know i feel bad for eating the fruit now but no he just fully shifts the blame on the woman and i think that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> no he's going into terms about all masculine and feminine energy but anyway i'm going throughout the he keeps on touching on the bible and the way he does it and the way he made me think about all concepts of God. Are concepts of God an internal thing? Like, is it like an internal... Because you think, when people say they hear the word of God, they don't physically hear noise from an outer person coming in. And I think that's what it is we do as humans. We like to, you know, displace things that happen to us internally on external things. You know, so, yeah, when you're in a relationship, you say that your partner makes you happy. It's like, no, you find happiness with your partner. Your happiness is your responsibility. If your partner's not making you happy, it's up to you to then communicate to them what's not making you happy. And then you continue finding your happiness with that partner. Your partner doesn't really make you happy. You know? I mean, obviously, they do nice things for you, and that's great, but... You know, ultimately, you can have a partner who does the most amazing things to you every single day, but if you're not a happy person, or you're not happy being with them, they can't actually make you happy. So that's why I say it's an internal thing. But we like to, I think as humans, we like to, you know, worship something external. Focus on something external. Say that's what's caused it, is that thing. And that's why we get so attached to figureheads. O- Ola, a uh, comedian who's on the... Th- uh, Quote as for podcast said he thinks humans have a uh, inherent need to worship and as we become more of a kind of, um, what's the word, non-atheist, a secular society and we don't actually have gods anymore or a god, whichever the- theology you follow we then turn to celebrities and we start following Beyonce's and your Kanye's. And that's why I think the reaction to when they do something that we don't agree with is actually disproportionately large because we place our focus on these kind of beards who are just other human beings, who are just as equally fallible and flawed as we are. But no, they're, they're celebrities. They're up there and they've got 90 million followers on Twitter. So they're, they're something amazing. Or they can dance really well at Coachella. So they're amazing. And we just follow them. And we literally do follow them. You follow them on social media. But are, you're one of their followers if you follow them on Twitter. You know. And then it just made me think about that. Like is God actually an internal concept? You know, is it you really your subconscious? It's just what you know to be good. We talk about from a moral perspective. If you do what you think is good, it morally enriches you. And then it makes you feel like a better person. And, you know, and if you're actually always acting honestly, and I say honestly is in, you know, seeking truth from a f- philosophical standpoint. This is what I've taken from the book. If you are always like following truth. So you're not actually trying to impose your ideology on, on a situation. You're just trying to find out what's true. And, ev- and your behaviour and your conduct and your thoughts are always trying to go towards that goal of truth. That's when you feel... You know, you're living your life properly. And I think that psychologically is God. That psychology is heaven in the sense of you know that you're doing the right thing in your behaviour. And when you're doing the wrong thing, that's when you're in your kind of psychological hell. And, stuff. and when people say only God can judge me, to paraphrase, I think that's you saying only you judge yourself. And ultimately, that's the thing. You can have the whole world praising you, think you're the best person in the world, but if you think you're a piece of shit, then yeah, that's that's God inside you in your head, it's like a psychological element that says, "Hey, I'm a piece of shit," and then you you know you end up in your hell. I mean, that's what I've been thinking. I don't even do drugs. I don't even do drugs. I guarantee. If I was Kanye, says shit like that, you sound crazy. I'm alright though. <laughs> alright, I'm gonna to to talk about this guy. As I did talk about, you know, celebrity worship and stuff. I think this is part and parcel of what's happened here. If you just treat him as a normal bloke who just said something deplorable, it's just like, ah. Sorry, I just took a sip of my drink. He said, ah, whatever. He says something dumb I don't agree with. You know like, why? Why? Why such a? I feel it's like such a hyperbolic reaction to what he said. Um, it feels like slavery was a choice. And um, what I found, what I found very interesting, is there've been very few balanced responses to what he said, because you've got one camp who are literally the Kanye stance, who have said, he said this, he meant that, and you know, they're adding words, taking words out, and then they go through the whole thing of you know he's a genius you don't understand him you know and it's like someone who's an expert in one field doesn't make them expert in all fields he's obviously an exceptional music producer he's a good rapper he's good at making music that is what he's very good at doing doesn't mean he's you know an expert on history on politics sociology society psychology psychotherapy (laughs) he's not an expert on these things um, but saying that as he's not an expert, then I think you're allowed to allow him to be stupid, right? I don't think he ever professed to being an expert, so why would you hold him to that standard? And then you got the other end of the spectrum, where he stated his, he made that point, very unclear, very mumbled, very muddled and muddied. And then, you know, he clarified his point again after. And then it's just like, well, no, I want to focus on the first point, he said. Because I think he tried to come... What did he say on his second point? What did he say on his second point? Yeah, so you made the point about mental slavery and stuff. And I think for me, personally, watching all the interviews he's done, I've given him the benefit of the doubt of what he meant. But he said what he said. I think that's the most simple response. I don't need any kind of emotional, vitriolic response. I don't need any emotional, supportive response. That's it. But I think some people don't. Because like, he wore the Make America Great Again hat. Uh, some um, I was discussing it yesterday with someone. They go, yeah, well, he, he voted for Trump. I was like, no, he didn't. He said he didn't vote. So people just jump to conclusions. I think we just build up these narratives and stories so quickly about someone. You voted for Trump, no, you didn't. Where well, you wore that America Great again hat? Why do you wear such a racist hat? It's just, it's the hat's not racist. It's just a hat with words on. That none of those words are racist. And then he's saying about repositioning the the catchphrase and make America great again, which I disagree with. I don't think you can reposition someone's slogan. I think the slogan has its meaning, which I don't agree with the slogan. But you've got some people like slagging off him, trying to reposition that slogan while calling him the N word, and they see the irony in you know using the N word, which is probably the most evident example of people trying to reposition a word that cannot be repositioned, yet they've just used the word in a repositioned way slag off here we try to reposition another phrase i don't it's just it's just too many ironies in this world way too many ironies in this world man and um and then oh and obviously got touch on the other and the other thing as well like people start talking about his mum and stuff what's his mum got to do with it oh since his mum died he ain't been the same no one's the same after anything's happened to him it's impossible to stay the same you always change in life even if his mum was alive, he, he's not going to be the same person as he was yesterday. No one is the same person. You change. And then people want to blame his wife. Blame a whole family. <laughs> I, know. I guess it kind of goes full circle back to the, uh, to the Adam and Eve thing that I read in the book. That it's just that you know, his behaviour is displaced onto some with of, of some sort. But, and then I had that conversation this week as well about women always being blamed for men's behavior but I think the same the other side of the same coin is behind every great man is a great woman so you can't can't have your cake and eat it ladies if you accept the blame and also accept the credit when a man does well or you're no part of it so behind every great man is the great man's back that's it that's what's behind him that's all it is. No woman there. No woman's done anything there. See, but I think behind every great individual, there's their social influences, their history, their life, the life they lived. So behind every great man, there'll be some great women. There'll also be some absolutely trash women and some great men and some trash men and some like dogs, cats. <laughs> I mean, there'll be all, all heap of shit behind them who we are now is a result of all the experiences we've been through is basically what i'm saying and i think that's uh, that's probably what uh, what Kanye had he's not the most articulate of people when it comes to thinking on the spot i think the point i and this thing's well actually right let's say he did let's say he said well, he said what he said and let's say he really meant it slavery was a choice and that you know enslaved africans were dumb and subservient, and you know, just feckless. These aren't my views. I'm just saying let's say that's what he meant. That's what he. That's what he said, and that's what he meant. Let's 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 imagine that, right? Does that change your perception of that situation? I mean, of history, your interpretation of history. If not, then what does it matter? Even if he said something. That agreed with you it still doesn't actually change your perception because you don't see it as true that's me so that I, that's all all I took from that is that like I don't see what he said is true what I think is rebellion was a was a choice a absolutely difficult choice to make given the circumstances given the fear the situations you're in Unimaginable situations, and you know, in a society where you couldn't even fathom having freedom, especially if you've never lived an experience of freedom. Imagine the first first Africans who were enslaved probably thought about rebellion much more readily than the ones who were actually born into it. I mean, you just got to imagine that, just like a new language. People, yeah, they're only communicating you through through like sheer physicality and brutality. It's the only way they communicate it. And just shouting in a different language. The fear, the confusion and all of that end up in a new place. And it ain't like now where you can just Google image and you know these places exist. is absolute new land. Imagine having your eyes closed. And waking up somewhere that is just unimaginable. You're in a completely new place. And then you're born into generations generations of that. So yeah, no. Slavery isn't a choice. But rebellion was a choice. But it would have been almost unfathomable to most of the people in that situation. And I think that's something you can discuss. And talking about... And what makes you think as well is when people talk about slavery without any kind of reverence. In my view, I can't remember who said it, but I still quote it now, is whatever you're doing today is what you would have been doing back then. So, and the point is, is that you look at slavery back then as these horrible conditions, but they are conditions that people didn't want to be in. And you look at us now as a society. How many people. Are in positions. Where, it's, where they want to put it down to race. Down to class. Down to gender. Sexuality. Intelligence. Attractiveness. Whatever. And they don't do anything. To move themselves out of that situation. Not because. They're feckless. But they're hopeless. And they're aimless and they don't actually know how to do that they don't have any possible way of doing that because they don't know it's hard to imagine what you deem unimaginable it's actually impossible from a kind of linguistic logical way but so yeah so people look back at slavery and think oh I would have been part of rebellion they no, you wouldn't you say you would have been part of rebellion while you're working your 9 to 5 for like a government agency shut up shut up <laughs> you know what I mean like me I know for a fact if I was back then back there on those plantations the way I would have been picking cotton with a smile on my face I would not have Nope, I would not have said a thing overseas been coming for his horse like we smiling at boy I- I'm sorry sir I'm not going to be smiling and I'll, I'll stop smiling. I'll do what I was told I didn't probably be trying to work my way up the ranks. Well, I'm going to sleep in the hut outside if I can get to the big house. I'll be trying to get myself in that house. Because back then, all I would have thought is that's the highest I could get top slave. That's what I'd try to be top slave. And the parallels to nowadays is right there. None of us are starting rebellions. We're here talking. We talk online. We talk on our podcasts. We talk on social media. I mean, that's the equivalent of just being in the plantation, in the cotton fields. When the overseer's not there, just whispering to each other. Man, I hate Massa. Oh, me too. Wait, did someone hear us say we hate Massa? And then we'll stop. Stop talking. Maybe we actually get caught saying it. What do we do? We then apologise. Because that's it. Our minds are kind of locked in a certain way of thinking, and I, yeah, I kind of. I'm not saying that um, there's lots of people out there who who are trying to do something different, try and do something new, and create a new future, a new way of thinking for people. But I don't. I'm not sure if we like if this society is so well designed that those who think of themselves as, and I think a lot of people don't even think of themselves as mentally enslaved because they just think of the world as it is. So they just go through life just kind of, not moaning, I don't like diminish anyone's kind of struggle, but they just go through life struggling and don't think of any possible way out. I think that's just perfectly parallel to what it would have been like back then. That's just the society you're born in, that's the cultural structures you're born in, you're born into slavery, that's what you live your life as slavery. You're born into poverty, there's many people who don't think of themselves being able to move out of poverty. And I guess those who transcend and move through those positions then look at others and go, Why can't you not do it? I guess that's, you know, you know, like when a fat person's lost weight and they're just so horrible about other fat people because they managed to lose weight. Why can't you lose weight, you fat? It's just, yeah, it's like, bro, you can't remember. Can you remember what it's like when you were fat? How hard it was for you? But no, you, you your brain transforms and past you is just this fat slob. You you've you've completely detached yourself from all those emotions you had when you were fatter about actually how hard it was and what a struggle it was to actually lose a couple of pounds. Now you've transformed into someone who's not fat, you have no time for fat people. It happens with a lot of people who become rich. Got no time for poor people. Why can't you get yourself out of this situation like I did? That's what happens. We don't actually show people the way. We just kind of, you know, chastise them and lambast them for not not fixing themselves up. And ignoring the fact that you had so much help to make, your, to make your way to the top. It kind of makes you think, like, what is the difference between these individuals? And how, how much are, you know, social constructs? How much do they influence people? Because they are. They're social constructs. So, if something can be socially constructed, then surely it can be socially deconstructed. And the main differentiator between us all is actually individual personalities. That's why two people come from the exact same background and have completely different outcomes in life. You know? Because one person's actually got that kind of, you know, blind not blind um, that kind of bullish determination to make it that they don't they're not going to listen to anything about racism sexism homophobia they don't give a shit about any of that don't care how it's meant to affect them or not they're like nope I'm going for it and I'll do this and I'll volunteer here and I'll work for little money here I'm going to get my foot in the door here they just keep on going keep going keep going the other person is like you know completely blinded by these social constructs. I can't apply for this job. Why? Because I'm black. I can't apply for this job. Why? Because I'm gay. I'm not saying that you know discrimination doesn't exist, but some people don't even let discrimination get them. They even attempt it. You know, from fear, they just want to avoid the the horror of being discriminated against. So they don't even bother go for it. That's why a lot of women don't apply for jobs and apply for and ask for pay rises. They don't want to face that discrimination therefore, don't get promoted. Because they're not demanding. Because they let the social constructs, being a woman, being told, you know, you're not the same as men. Hinder them from even asking the question. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's crazy out there. I'm talking about crazy. Back on Kanye again. This mental illness thing is, is I'm conflicted and it's kind of annoying me because I can't, I can't articulate my point on this I think I've got it though right? when people throw out that he's mentally ill just to not because I feel like some people throw out he's mentally ill because they don't agree with what he said and, and they've made it it's too binary it's too it's too simple it's lazy it just got, I don't agree with what you say so you're mentally ill and it's almost like I almost feel like people who call him mentally ill are people who want to like him but don't agree with what he said, so that's their way of reconciling that. I don't like what you said, but if I, if I say you're mentally ill, then I can blame that, therefore I'll continue liking what you said. Yeah, he's mentally ill. Carry on. But what if he's not mentally ill? If people go, oh, he's going through a breakdown, no, he had a breakdown. And he's here now just getting his life back on track, I guess. Let's say he is mentally ill. Then how many of these people calling him mentally ill are actually trying to advocate for his health and advocate for him to get better? Not many. There's like, he's mentally ill, so don't listen to him anymore. That's what annoys me. I think that's part of the noise. me, is when someone says, you're mentally ill. Oh, right, he's just mentally ill. It's like, well... What you What are you doing to advocate mental health awareness, or that that person actually gets any help? They're not. His wife has come out and said he's not mentally ill. I heard someone justify it, going, Nah, that's just her, you know, trying to put out the fire. It's like, what if he's not mentally ill? What if he's actually fully recovered and sane? Because that's like someone getting cancer, going to remission, cancer's gone, and people are like, Nah, he's still got cancer though. I said no he hasn't yeah but he has his hair's still short said, that's because he had chemo lost his hair yeah but his hair's still short so he's still got cancer in it. so no no that's an after effect but they don't have the illness so they say he's not ill they say he doesn't have any mental illness now and he said what he said and he's saying the things he's saying uh, like what now? Then you just merely disagree with what he said, and then you hate him. And then I think it's people who are desperate to want to buy his music after, so you know they have to find another way. Oh well, then it's 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 his wife. It's the Kardashians. It's their fault. That's, that's why that's that, that's why he's saying these these crazy things. And so just say that you don't like what he says. You're still going to fuck with his music. And move on. And the funny thing is right. From the interviews I've seen him do. His base is. He keeps going on about this love thing. Love everyone. Love your enemies. No one's your enemy. Love them all. And everyone's just like. What the fuck is he talking about? My view was. When I heard him say it, It's like. He sounds a lot like. You know. Like the things you hear on a Sunday morning. In a room with a few crucifixes. Round the, the wall. And it made me think, what if Jesus was alive now, yeah? If he existed, I don't know. I, I, Because of this book I'm reading, I currently think of him as an archetypical character of what the perfect human being should be. And I actually think of him as a real person. But let's just say he was a real person and he lived now. Yep. How quickly do you think he would be mocked and ridiculed on Twitter? Like, this day and age, how quick would Jesus be ridiculed on Twitter? Imagine a man tweeting, if someone slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. Pusio! <laughs> and there'd be all memes of people turning the other cheek and stuff. Or oh, when someone crashes into your car, let them crash into the other side. When someone robs your house, let them rob your house again. Just like people just be like mocking him, absolutely mocking him. It'd be on the cross. Man can do miracles, but he can't get himself off the cross. Uh... <laughs> it would be dreadful. It would be dreadful. I, I think this this day and age, I think we've become very jaded to the point that rather than listen to a positive element of someone's message, we'd rather uh, just listen to any kind of negative element because then we have something to argue about and something to be offended by and something to moan about. And this isn't me saying what he said wasn't offensive. What Kanye said was offensive. Uh, And yeah, and deplorable and reprehensible. It was was a disgusting thing to say. And he said what he said, regardless of how I interpreted it. He said what he said, and it's an offensive thing he said. So for me, what he should have done is just apologised. Said, look, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Just humble yourself, in it And just say, I don't know... I don't know everything about this topic. I don't know anything about this topic, really. You know, Let's try to read some more, man. The man admitted that he doesn't read. Like, read on these figs, Just expressing opinions. Which are equivalents to driving a car without ever taking a lesson. Your theory test. Maybe not even seen anyone else drive a car. So, you know, you may intuitively be able to drive a car and you know live life great but more likelihood is you're going to kill someone else and probably yourself in the car as well so i just hope that he takes a step out of the car learns how to drive you know and then maybe get back in the car and admit they wasn't ready to be in the car and be talking about those type of things i think what he should do now he's created the buzz about himself he's probably going to do some other stuff in the media between now and his album release and then we're going to buy his album and people who like Kanye are going to love the album people who hate Kanye can call it trash and we're all going to move on and then Katie Hopkins will say something that will take our attention Donald Trump will tweet something, and that will take our attention then we'll remember that Syria is being bombed and that will take our attention then we we'll remember that North Korea men have nuked the weapons and that will take our attention and then will remember that Russia was meant to be doing something. That will take our attention. And then we'll forget all of that for a month because it'd be the World Cup. Obviously. Then we'll have a little bit of buzz because the Premier League season is about to start. Obviously. You know, and then remember that Trump just tweeted in, they remember that. they remember that Mad McCann is still missing. <laughs> you know, it's just how it is. We, our memories are just so short now. I can't focus on anything. Um, How long have I been talking for? I've been rambling on for thirty seven. This might be a short podcast, um, but it is what it is. I was meant to talk about. I was about to talk about Infinity Wars as well. I'm talking about Infinity Wars. Um, yeah, I was Team Thanos. <laughs> if you haven't seen Infinity Wars, uh I'm going to talk about it now. I'm going to talk about it now. I'm going to talk about it for probably three minutes. Three minutes. I'll I'll be I'll talk about for three minutes. Uh no, maybe not for three minutes. But if it really was. I'm team Thanos. Um, On those things, where you know, it's such a again talking about God concepts. Yeah, I don't I don't believe in any, any of that stuff. But if I'm arguing it, I do argue it from the appropriate perspectives. So when people say, you know, why does God let bad things happen? It's like, well, you're applying human things, human emotions, human thoughts to godly processes. I think this Thanos thing was just like an example of what it looks like when you actually peel back this curtain between humanity and divinity and go, right, this is the motives behind this kind of thing. Falaise's viewpoint in these films, I know it's different from the comics, because he just did it to like prove his love for some like witch woman, right? I don't watch, I don't read the comics, but in the film, he's doing it because the uh, the universe is overpopulated. There's finite resources, and when there's finite resources, there's war, there's conflict. You know, if there's one job, two of you are going for it, one of you gonna be disappointed. What well, if he just got rid of 50% of the people there? It's one person to one job. Thanos was trying to create a nice equilibrium across the universe that made every planet flourish and live. And you think you've got to think about Thanos, right? When when he came for his mission, once he did his thing, he left. That's all he did. As soon as he got his stone, he didn't come bracket up everyone or killing no Notice that, he doesn't kill anyone after he gets his stone. As soon as he gets that stone, boom. Man's done. I'm out of it. It's only when people try to kill him. That's when he's like, well, but I've got to kill you now, because you literally just tried to kill me right now, after I've got the stone. Once I got my stone, I'm gone. There's no no need for me to break anyone up. I'm I'm gone. I'm out of here. Let me get the next stone. And you know, he even made sacrifice himself. Got that soul stone as soon as he closed that gauntlet boom he just went left left the earth sat on his little rock looks out to the sunset that's like yeah i've saved the universe you can't say he acted selfly he actually had to get rid of his own daughter he loved to do it what a guy what a guy anyway um, wait, we've been forty minutes in. Do I do dear Deirdre? Cause you know this thing is running long. Um, all right, we'll do two of them. We'll do two. Let's see what ones come up. Dear, De- oh dear, oh dear. Is this a video one or is this actually written? Oh, yay! Here it goes. Dear Deidre, I had sex with a guy at work after a night spent drinking cocktails. We got caught in the corridor and now the other girls at work won't let me forget about it. I am 20. Ah, so early in your career. So early in the career. I'm 20 and I've recently started working on on the checkouts at a supermarket. Ah, I thought it's not a career. Don't worry about it. Um, Which has just opened in our town. I love the job and love the people, especially the attention from the guys working there. Uh, One of the girls was having a drinks party in town, and she invited me along. She told me that night that one of our colleagues really liked me. He's nice, um, but he, he just isn't my type. I sat with him, but only did it to please her. We ended up in the club, and I lost sight of him. There was another guy from work who I didn't know as well, but I really do fancy him. He's 24, but... By this stage, i had had a bit to drink, though I wasn't drunk. I plucked up the courage to go over and talk to him. He seemed really nice, and he asked me if, if we could go somewhere quiet. We end up in the corridor kissing, and I had sex with him there and then. uh uh-uh. My mates had clearly followed me and could hear them laughing and calling me a sex maniac. Um, yes, yeah, a sex maniac. I'll show you sex maniac. Just run at him with your pussy out. <laughs> just screaming that's that's a sex maniac um i was i was so upset i i now feel as though i just want to leave my job i'm scared of other people finding out it would break my heart as i was really looking forward to working there but being off work with depression and anorexia for a couple years oh you've got real shit going on all right um i've never had a serious relationship i hate myself as i have very low self-esteem. I still have to work with these people though. I don't know how to be. I realise that my colleagues are upset that I had sex with this guy. And not their friend who they try to set me up with. Right. First of all. Tell your friends. Shut up. Do not have sex with your friend. Had sex with the person I want to have sex with. Is literally like the, and the opposite of rape. Full consensual sex, full decisional sex. That's who I wanted to have sex with, that's who I had sex with. Shut up, none of your business. Your friend's lovely, I didn't wanna bag him. It's my body, I didn't wanna let him inside it. Piss off. That's what you say to your friends. Right about that. Then them to calling you a sex maniac again. Well, you lot followed me, so you lot are perverts. All right. Yeah, I had sex in the corridor, but yeah, it a whole nightclub playing music, and you chose to follow me to watch me have sex. So who's the weirdo here? I had sex. You lot watched someone have sex. Fuck off. That's how you deal with that bit. Then your depression and anorexia. Well, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a. I'm not a, a therapist of any sort, and therefore you know. I don't have to really give you advice on that. Um, you yeah, know, that's what you got to do in life now, people. Is that it's just express the limitations of your expertise. No shame in that. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'll give it a go, but I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, you, you know, you said you hate yourself um, as you have very low self-esteem. Um, so then I guess you got to ask the question why you've got low self-esteem. Uh, if you've got low self-esteem because you feel bad about banging guys in corridors, then don't bang guys in corridors that's there you go. Um, that that'd be my suggestion there. Now you get the job that this is this seems like you've placed your kind of hopes to move out of depression on having this job. Um, you know, this job's gonna be your external, you know, focus of happiness. Then, well, do your job once you've addressed it with the people you work with, they might just leave it alone. That's it. If not, then, you know, you seem like a town girl. You've had your depression and stuff. So I can see why you can't really see a world bigger than your town. But look, it's just a supermarket in your town, love. Just a supermarket in your town. So don't worry about it. Next one. Um, let's see. Oh, dear. Um, Jesus. Right, let's see this one. Uh, all sex ones. I'm obsessed with the idea of having sex with my wife's gorgeous sister. Uh, I'm, des- yeah, I'm desperate to bed my wife's sexy sister. Neither of them have any idea. I'm 36. My wife is 32. We have two lovely kids. But for the past few weeks, all I can think about is having sex with my sister-in-law. She's 29 and is very attractive. She's lo- She has a lovely curvy body and shows it off with how she dresses. I love my wife and kids and would describe our relationship as being very good so I don't know why I'm having these thoughts all of a sudden part of me wants to make a move but I know it's stupid and could cost me my marriage and my kids well mate with moments like this what you got to do is to see the same way you've created this great outcome of you having sex with her and it being amazing create an opposite outcome where you have sex with her and it's actually dreadful and her pussy is disgusting and you actually contract AIDS and then your family move away from you. And you're shunned socially from everyone. And then you're laying in a hospital bed, dying on, on your own, because your AIDS, for whatever reason, is absolutely very aggressive. Now of your mates come to see you because they're really immature. They don't really know what AIDS work. They're like, we don't want to catch AIDS of Gary. I've added the name Gary. And you're actually just dying alone. And the hospital you know, has horrible Wi-Fi Wi-Fi connections. So you can't even get on the internet. Each time he to look on, like, the internet, just to catch up, what's the latest football scores? Just get a nice buffering screen. You know? Then just says, network error. Please contact the administrator. They ask the nurse for the password for the Wi-Fi, and she goes, "Uh, listen, Gary, just give it up. We don't have good Wi-Fi in this hospital. I just want to know what the score is. Just want to know what the United score is. She's like, Gary, don't worry about it. You're going to die in a few days. Don't worry about it. You know, but you don't die in a few days. You just keep, just perpetually thinking you're gonna die for the next few days. And this all came from you banging your wife's sister. Now, if that doesn't put you off from doing it, I don't know what will. Unless have got to do each time you think is gonna be a good outcome, think we're equally bad outcome, because this touches back onto what I was saying earlier about you know my idea of you know God and good and evil being just completely internal you know it's a bad idea you actually know it's a terrible idea why do you want to do it we know when something we know if something's good or bad when something's when we don't know then granted that's when life's interesting but deep down you know you know what's good eating vegetables good eating fried chicken bad and everyone goes well you can do stuff with moderation but in if you actually thought about it properly yeah You wouldn't do any of this stuff in moderation. You wouldn't drink. Drinking alcohol. Bad. Drinking water. Good. Why do you want to do bad things in moderation? You shouldn't actually do anything like that. You should just do all the good things. I'm talking in a very philosophical way. I drink. I like fried chicken. I watch pornography. But we know these things are good for us. (laughs) They're not. We know they're not good. So, matey, banging your sister definitely falls in the category of not good. Don't do that. Um, next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. Uh, everyone loves my little brother more than me, including our parents. All right. Why is it everyone loves my little brother more than me, including our parents? Dear Deirdre, I'm so envious of my little brother. Our parents love him more than me. As kids, our parents would walk along, both holding his hands I'd think, why don't they turn around to see where I am? Why, do, why don't they want to hold my hand too? Jesus. At school, I would eat lunch on my own while he was surrounded by friends. I get why. I love him too. He's smart, funny and good looking. I'm 27 and he's 23. I'm getting married soon and he's my best man. Uh, but I've got no confidence and I worry everyone will think my fiancé would have done better to marry him. Right. This... It's all do for your parents. This is fully your parents. This is. Um, but then. I don't know. Again this book I'm reading. Talks about parenting. Really interesting. Really interesting thing man. Where it talks about how. You shouldn't let your kids. Do anything that makes you hate them. And by saying that modern parenting. Too many kids want to be. Too many parents want to be their kids friends. And therefore don't discipline them. Because they're worried of upsetting. You know their kids. And everyone puts this massive um, placement on, on happiness as the goal of life. You know? And because I just want to be happy in life. Just want to be happy. But if you think about it. What is happiness? And is happiness not just a selfish aim? Because who says happiness is actually a right for hum- humans? Again, if you go back to this book I'm reading. And uses Jesus as an, an archetype again about happiness. It's like, well... Look at his life. He lived his life, you know, in a perfectly good way. Mate, he got crucified. Literally. So what happiness really came from that? <laughs> I mean, mate, he made it to like 33 or something. Them times there, people live into like nine hundred and ninety, whatever. And mate who lives his life perfectly makes it to 33. Come on now. What's that about? So, all I'm saying is... Happiness may not actually be the aim for life. You know. If you're actually trying to be a full, you know, world-changing person. Now we all want the world to change, and want it to be a better place, but none of us really want to make the sacrifice to do that, including me. If someone said, Darren, like kill your family, just your family, and that'll bring about world peace. No famine, no disease. No racism, no sexism, it's pure equality and just a utopia and everyone's getting on and there's fruit and there's, it's just great. Everyone's living a long life and no one even has to work because money's not an object, but money's not a thing and everything just grows abundantly and it's just beautiful, beautiful. I'd be like, fuck you, no way. <laughs> I'm not killing my family, even if I got to live a part of that utopia, no, I'm not doing it. This thing, because we it's we always think about ourselves. Always think about ourselves. But back to this dilemma. Um, yeah. Look, no one thinks that your fiance should marry your, your brother, alright? it's good that you actually still like your brother. I think that's good. You haven't actually placed the blame on him. Just talk to your parents, innit? Just say, look, yo, what happened? Like, why did you uh I remember you never you sold my hands. do you know what they'll probably say to you? They'll either say, we don't remember that, that'll piss you off. Or they'll probably say, oh, it's just because you was older and, you know, you was just more independent than him. We thought we didn't have to show you all that affection because, you know, you was always just the confident one. We never had to worry about you. And they may end up saying all this positive reinforcing stuff about you that you didn't even realise. They thought, shit, it might have all come out at your wedding. And you're going to have a big old cry and blub in front of your mates. they are like, oh, you're such a pussy. Your brother doesn't cry, though. So, you know, talk to your parents. Ask them why. And they'll probably, you know, debunk all your misplaced memories. You've probably forgotten so much good shit they've done for you. So, yeah, don't worry about it. Right, at 53 minutes, I'm going to end the podcast. Um, hey, you can catch me this week gigging around London. Um, wow. Wednesday, you won't be able to see me because I'm at a private club, which to be cool. It's funny, one of the guys I uh, do my charity stuff, if he's a member of that club, he just saw my face at, um, on one of the posters in the club, or we got sent on the email. So, hey, he'll see me down there. It's the LP club at the Curtain. So that should be good. It's me, Mr. Isla, and a secret guest, special guest comedian who I know who it is, but you know, I'm not going to say on the podcast um so yeah he's the secret special guest comedian so that'd be good uh thursday i might i'll get your comedy on comedy on i always say get your comedy on comedy on uh it's gonna be junior booker um athena can't remember how to pronounce the surname so i'll find that out right now but babatunde gonna be the host by brandon palmer to be daniel muggleton Muddleton Muggleton Muggleton Muggleton. What is his name? It's Daniel Muggleton. Ah, there you go. Kofina Kublenu, Junior Booker, me, Brandon Palmer, Babatunde. It's going to be sick. That's where Cafe 91 Brick Lane. That'd be amazing. Get your tickets for that. You want to come down? It's always a really fun night. It's got a nice happy hour as well before that. Uh, also, also, uh, on Friday, I'll be in Bournemouth with Kane Brown, the man who gave me my first gig. That'd be nice. And it's going to be like my two-year anniversary of comedy at the end of this month. So, that is going to be absolutely cool. That'd be nice. That's nice that, you know, come, it's come round. Uh, who's going to be there? Jake Lambert, Jack Barry. Then are going to be in Bournemouth for the weekend. Chilling out. So, I might have to do a podcast from Bournemouth or... Um, or I might just do it later on the Sunday when I get back and you know, talk about Bournemouth. So that's the end of the podcast. Um, I've talked your ear off and I'm going to go now. It's only meant to be half an hour. So I'm sorry for how long it is. I just got all philosophical and deep and kind of almost had a Kanye moment. <laughs> just, you know, farting out the thoughts in my head. But cheers listening. Subscribe, share, comment, interact with me. Tell me what you disagree with. I'm actually listening. I'm actually going to be listening. I'll listen to people who disagree with me. I always said it's something I'd do, but then when I really have a think about it, I fall into old habits and I don't. I, I let you talk so I can think of my rebuttal rather than actually listen to what you're saying. So, yeah, comment, disagree with me. I don't give a shit um, about being wrong. I do give a shit about your opinion. I don't give a shit about being wrong. So, yeah, talk to me, man. I love it. All right, peace.